Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Gwinnett Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Gwinnett Church app where you can have access to all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around here at Gwinnett Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. Most importantly, however, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Just joining us, um, we started a series last week, uh, a series of teachings uh, that we're calling Prodigals. And what we're doing uh, in this series is uh, we are looking at uh, one of Jesus's most famous parables. This is in Luke chapter 15, one of his most famous stories that he's ever told. Whether you grew up in church or not, you've probably heard this story, the story of the prodigal son. And for uh, the course of three weeks, what we're doing is we're jumping into this story in order to examine what it teaches us uh, about the heart of God and what ought to be the heart of the Christian faith. And so last week, uh, let me just catch us up to speed if you weren't with us. Uh, last week, uh, we, we really set the scene and we jumped into Luke 15 and, and just kind of uh, we, we, we read a little bit leading up to the story of the prodigal son in order to understand the setting that Jesus told this story in. Because in order to understand the impact of this story, you got to understand uh, who was there and the setting in which Jesus told it in. And so we said that uh, when Jesus told this most famous parable, uh, he was actually sitting down and doing something that he did often, which was he was having a meal uh, with some uh, tax collectors and some sinners, right? And we learned that, hey, you know, that would have uh, been a big deal back then because tax collectors and sinners These were the unsavory characters, the unworthy, the unclean. These were the people who, because of their decisions, their actions, their behaviors, and sometimes their wrong beliefs, uh, these were people that had been uh, viewed as cut off from God's blessing, cut off from God's favor, cut off from relationship with God. And so uh, even to associate with these people, uh, that would have had an impact on your own reputation. And so, uh, but yet here is Jesus and he's having this meal with these people as he would often do, because as we have learned, many times around here, and we've said many times around here, Jesus would Jesus um, liked people who were nothing like him and they liked him back, right? And so uh, here he was and he's having this meal. Now present at this meal uh, was another group of people, man. They weren't participating, but they were looking in and, and these were the Pharisees and the religious scribes. And these were the, these were kind of the, the, the right people, right? These were the, these were the good people, the godly people, the people that did the right things. They, they checked all the boxes. These were the, uh, the morally superior people of the day. And, and they're looking on as Jesus is having this meal and associating with these tax collectors and sinners. And uh, they're looking on and it says that they're looking on in frustration and anger. And do you remember the word for what they were doing when they were looking on? They muttered, right? They were muttering about Jesus, which we said, we need to resurrect that word. And so it's a good word, right? They're muttering. They're kind of talking trash. They're gossiping. They're, they're kind of talking under their breath. I can't believe he's doing this. What is he thinking? Why would he associate with these people? And it's in the midst of that scene that Jesus realizes he's got a teaching moment on his hands, right? Because he's got these two groups of people and they both have this picture, this perspective, this paradigm of uh, what they think God is like and who they think God likes and how they think the whole religious thing works. And so here they are and Jesus realizes I've got a teaching opportunity, uh, a, chance to, uh, a, a chance to correct some, some misinformation, a chance to, to shift some paradigms, a chance to uh, paint a different picture and to show these people what God is really like 
and who God actually likes. And so that was the scene. And, uh, and so into that, right, Jesus, we, we know he takes this opportunity to, to teach uh, the way that Jesus often would. And so he, he tells some stories. And we learned that the reason why Jesus would often teach in stories is because stories have the power and the potential to shift our paradigms and to, to change our perspective. And so Jesus uh, tells uh, three stories, right? One about a, a lost sheep, one about a lost coin, and one about a lost son. And last week we read the first two and, and kind of discovered how Jesus is setting the scene for this paradigm shift for a new perspective. And so we, we read those first two. And if you're interested and you wanna hear um, about that, you can go back and watch it, but I'm not gonna recap every single thing. But Jesus tells these first two stories Something is lost, something is found, and then there's a celebration. And, and then uh, really these first two stories, though, they are a setup for the parable, like the crescendo, right? This is like the, the, the climax of the action, right? Like, so Jesus has told these first two stories in order to get us to a place where we're ready to hear this third story. It's the parable. It's the one that we all know, the story of the prodigal son. And so that's what we're gonna look at this morning. We're gonna jump into this parable of the prodigal son. But before we do, uh, I recognize that a lot of you are familiar with this story. But uh, what I wanna do this morning is, is as, we're, as we're getting into reading it, I wanna invite you and challenge you to do something. I wanna invite you and challenge you to find yourself in the story. Find yourself this morning in the story. Uh, when Jesus would tell these stories, uh, oftentimes the reason why he's telling them like any good story, he wants you to relate to the characters and he wants you to find yourself in the story. And, and he would tell these stories often, right? He wants to teach us something about God, but he also wants to teach us something about ourselves. And so wherever you're at this morning, wherever you're at on the faith journey, whether you would call yourself a follower of Jesus or whether you're just here checking it out uh, for the first time or maybe for the last time, right? Like, like uh, I hope that's not true, but, but, but wherever you find yourself on the faith journey, I just wanna encourage you and challenge you. Would you be honest enough to try to examine yourself and find yourself in the story? Which character do I identify with? Who have I been? Where do I have a tendency to be? So find yourself in the story and it's my hope that Jesus will teach us something about ourselves this morning as well as the heart of God. And so uh, Jesus, he tells these first two setup stories and then he tells the story that we all know and, and I'll go ahead and get into it. This is how the story goes. It says, there was a man who had two sons and now right off the bat, Jesus is introducing us to our characters. There's a, a dad, a man, and he's got two sons. These are our characters for the story. And, and just so that you know, a lot of times, many times when Jesus would tell his parables, uh, not all the time, but a lot of times, Jesus would insert a character that is meant to represent God to us. We're meant to learn something about who God is and what God is like and who God likes and how he operates. And, and in this parable in particular, uh, Jesus is inserting a God character for us and it's the father. And so sometimes we're tempted to hear these uh, parables. And if you're anything like me, um, I always like to imagine myself as the hero, yeah? Like if, if you're being like, you like to imagine yourself as the hero, right? Like, like I'm David, I slayed Goliath. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I like to imagine myself as the hero in the story. And, and so this, this father character is gonna be the hero, but I just wanna remind you uh, that this character is meant to represent God. He's not any of us. 
And we might re- re- like relate to aspects of him, but this is, this is the God character. And now there's, other, there's two other characters in the story though, and it's these two sons. And Jesus is gonna tell us what goes on uh, in this parable. And he's gonna teach us a little bit. So there's a man who represents God and he has two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. So this Jesus comes out of the gates and he's coming out swinging. I mean, he starts this whole scene. He says, I'm gonna tell you a story. And he starts off and already it is so offensive, right? He starts out and it's immediately offensive. uh, As you can imagine, right? This younger son, Jesus says, there's a guy, he's got two sons and his younger son comes to him and he says, dad, would you give me my share of the estate? Now, this is more than just asking for 20 bucks. This is more than when you were a a kid and, and you threatened to run away. Anybody threatened to run away when they were a kid? Yeah, anybody actually do it? My mom helped me pack my bag. Yeah. She was like, okay, let's do it, right? And she helped me pack my bag and I made it in the backyard. And then like, you know, as soon as it started to get dark and I'd already drank my Capri Sun, I was like, I'm going back. You know what I mean? Like, so this is, this is more than just a temper tantrum, right? This is more than a temper tantrum that this, that this son is doing. When this son comes to his dad and says, divide the estate, what he's saying is, hey, dad. And you gotta imagine this. He's going, hey, like whatever money you saved for me for college, Whatever money you've set aside, if you guys, have, if you and mom have a living will or whatever, and you were going to give me anything upon your death, would you just go ahead and give it to me now? Because I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with this family. I'm out of here. And y'all, you got to, I mean, when I think about that, like if I think about one of my kids saying that to me, oh, it would break my heart. I mean, this is, this is hurtful. This is offensive. This would be hurtful and offensive now, right? In Jesus's day though, this would have been unforgivable. This would have been unforgivable. Like you just don't do this. And so the crowd would have been like, oh no, he didn't. You know what I mean? Like, like this, that moment, right? And so he comes, he goes, dad, he's basically like him saying like, dad, I, I know you got some stuff for me when you die, but I just can't wait around that long. You look like you're in pretty good shape and you're gonna be here for a while and I gotta go. And so he says, can I just have it now? So offensive. But what really would have made the crowd gasp, you guys, what really would have shocked them is not what the son said. It's that the father did it. It's that the father did it. He actually divided. They would have been fully expecting uh, the story to go, hey, there was, a son, there was a father, he had two sons, younger son comes and says, dad, give me uh, what's owed to me. Give me my, my piece of the property. And, they would have, and then they would have expected Jesus to say, and so the father smacked him upside the head and took his cell phone away. You know what I mean? Like, like that's what they would have expected him to say. And yet that's not what he says. He says, oh my gosh. And so the dad did it. And now if the dad is meant to represent God to us, right? What is Jesus teaching us about God? What is he saying about God, our heavenly father. What he's teaching us right here is that God is never gonna make you love him. He will not force his love. He is not going to force you to love him. He he wants an authentic relationship with us. He does not want begrudging submission and he does not want robotic obedience. He wants a relationship. And so your heavenly father loves you enough, he will let you walk away. So Jesus goes on, says the younger son. So the father divides his property between them. He says, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he, he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. 
And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So the younger son, he takes the money and run, right? Like he, he, he gets out of there, takes his dad's stuff, turns his back on his dad. He says, you know what? I'm done. I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with this family. I don't want anything to do with this community, right? And so he, he leaves and completely severs the relationship. You guys remember what we said last week that when Jesus talked about lost, right? It wasn't about location. It wasn't about being misplaced. It was about relationship. It was disconnected relationship. And so this younger son has done just that, turning his back on his father, taking the things he leaves. And now he is lost to the father. And he goes and he takes all of his stuff and he takes this stuff and he goes and says that he spends it on wild living. And so he's going and he's doing his thing. And it says that he heads out to a distant country, And that idea of a distant country was like the idea that I'm going to get as far away as I can because I want to do things on my terms. I want to do things my way. Now I want to, I want to live my truth and I don't want any of your criticism and I don't want any of your consequences. And so I'm out. This is the idea of a distant country. So he says that he goes and he gets as far away as he can from his dad and from his family and from that community. He gets, he gets way out and it says that he lives wild and free and, and spends all of his money. And it says that uh, we don't know how much time went by, but uh, apparently he ends up blowing through all the cash, right? MC hammer style, just boom, gone. And, um, if you don't know about MC hammer, he had swooshy pants and you can Google it later, but like, um, he, he spent all of his money and, um, and, and it says that, you know, not only does he end up spending all of his money, but on top of that, uh, after he spends all of his money and now he's broke, now a famine comes because y'all, when it rains, it pours. And, and what Jesus is teaching us here is that there are always consequences for sin. There's always consequences for sin. Some of them you can foresee and some of them you can't. He could foresee that spending his money and living the way that he was gonna live would probably lead to him being broke. You could foresee that. He couldn't foresee the famine and how his decisions uh, with his money and how his decisions with his wild living would actually make him, put him in a worse spot later, right? He had no idea. And the same thing is true in our own lives, right? There's the decisions that we make and the sin consequences that we can see and then there's the stuff we couldn't see. For some of us are like, yo, I, I could not have foreseen how that habit, that, that thing that I, that I started to do when I was 14 would affect my marriage later. There are some, there are some decisions, right? They were going, I could not have foreseen how that decision, that selfish decision that I made in a moment on my business trip was gonna affect my relationship with my kids. There's a decision, right? That we, we, we couldn't foresee how it was gonna affect things, how, how that, that, that habit that started as a distraction after work has now turned into an addiction and we didn't see it coming. How did I get there? Jesus is saying, hey, sin comes prepackaged with consequences. Some of them you can see and some of them you can't see. Some of them you didn't see coming, but they're coming. And so he continues to pile it on now. 
And he says that not only like is this dude broke and not only now is there a famine in the land and, and he's facing some, some seen and unforeseen consequences of his sin. Not only that, but now this younger son has to go and get a, <laughs> a job, right? You know? And so now he's got to go and get a job, right? Like, and, 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 and for this younger son who's lived at home under his dad's protection, he probably never had to work a day in his life. Now he's got to go and get a job, but it's not just any job, you guys. He has to go and he ends up getting this job where he's feeding pigs and everybody in the crowd that day, they would have known this is more than just a crummy job. This is way more than, this is like the lowest of the low. Cause now, right, he, like, like he's got this job and he's coming into contact with pigs. And for Jesus's culture, pigs were viewed as unclean. And to even come into contact with them, then that made you unclean. And so now, listen, so now not only is this young man cut off from his dad, not only has he been cut off from his family, not only is he cut off from community, but now because of this job, now he's cut off from God. He's got nowhere to turn. This is like rock bottom. This is the pigsty, right? You ever been there? You ever been there? Rock bottom? Feel like you got nowhere to turn? In a distant country? Cut off? You ever been there? Y'all, confession. I have. I have. I've been there. I have been there as a younger man. Some of you know my story. This is a part of my story. As a younger man, all the way up until 19 years old, and I can remember at 19 years old, you guys, because of the decisions that I was making, waking up repeatedly on Sunday mornings, achy with a headache because the decisions that I'd made Thursday through Saturday, every Thursday through Saturday regarding drugs and alcohol, And I would look myself in the mirror and I hated who I'd become. I hated. I hated who I was becoming. And I'm looking at myself and I'm ashamed and I'm frustrated and I'm I'm lonely and I'm angry. I'm angry at the world, y'all, but I'm angry even more at myself thinking, how did I let myself wander this far? It's like a pig pit. It's rock bottom. Not knowing anywhere to turn. You ever been there? Some of you, you know exactly what that's like. You've been there. Some of you, you are there. Listen, if you're being really honest with yourself this morning, some of you, that's exactly where you're at right now. Rock bottom. And you're looking at yourself. And you're going, this is not the life that I had planned for me. This is not how I thought things were going to go. This is not the, 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 the story that I had hoped to write. And you're looking at yourself and the decisions that you made and the way that you've wandered and you're now at a distant country and you're in the pig pen and you're looking at it and you're going like, yo, this is, this is not the future that I had hoped This is not the relationship that I had hoped to be in. This is not how I hoped my marriage was going to go. This is, I I had never intended for this habit to be the thing that's controlling my life. I never wanted to be carrying so much guilt around in my life. This is not the story that I'd wanted. And you look at yourself and you're going, man, how did I get here? And you don't like who you've become. 
You don't like where it's heading. You don't like where you've arrived. Some of you, you've been there. Some of you, you're there. You're there right now. And if that's you this morning, I want you to pay attention to what Jesus says next. I hope you'll pay attention to what Jesus says next. Because there's hope. There's hope. So Jesus continues with the story. He says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. So this younger son, he's hit rock bottom, lowest of the low. Wasted all of his wealth. Now he's in the pig pen, nowhere to turn. And Jesus says he has this this moment, this aha, this light bulb moment where he realizes, hey, wild and free wasn't all it was cracked up to be. And things weren't so bad with dad. And so he has this wake up moment, right? This realization that something needs to change and he decides to make a change. So he says, hey, this son is sitting in the pig pen and he decides, you know what, I gotta go home. It's time for me to go home. I gotta turn back. I'm gonna go back to dad because things were actually not so bad with dad. And there's a word There's a word for what happens, what this son does. There's a word for that coming back to the father, to returning. There's a word for that in the church. And the word is repent, right? The word is to repent. And that word repent, it just, it means to turn, right? It means to change direction, to change your thinking, to change your mind, to return, right? That's that's what it means to repent, And Jesus is teaching us about the role of repentance in our Christian journey. And he's showing us that repentance has an important part to play in our Christian journey. But now, before we get into that, I just want to remind you of something. I want to show you something so that we keep it in the right order, right? Jesus is teaching and he says that the son has this repentance moment. But you need to remember and we need to remember and I need to remember, especially those of us that have been in church for a long time, we need to remember that the father's love is what let the son go. So the father's love came before repentance. Love preceded repentance. Love preceded repentance. Repentance is not the requirement for God's love. What Jesus is teaching us here is, hey, when it comes to repentance, right? The father loved that rebellious son when he was in the pig pen. He loved that rebellious son when he left home. He loved that rebellious son if that son never decided to come home. He loved him. Love precedes repentance. Repentance is not a requirement for God to love you. We gotta get that right. We gotta keep that in the right order. So he says, love precedes repentance, but that doesn't mean that repentance is not important. Catch this. Jesus is saying, hey, love precedes repentance. God loves you whether you ever decide to love him or not, whether you ever decide to come home or not, whether you ever, ever, ever leave the pig pen or not, God loves you, but repentance plays a role. He says, repentance is required to restore relationship. Repentance is required to restore relationship. 
God's gonna love you whether you decide to love him back or not. But repentance is required for relationship. For that son to walk in relationship with his dad again, he has to leave the pig pen. You can't walk with your father and waller with the pigs. You can't walk with your father and waller with the pigs. And so he says, you gotta turn. He had to come home. And so love precedes repentance, but repentance is still required to reconnect in relationship. And that's the role that repentance plays in our life. It doesn't determine God's love, but it does reconnect us in relationship with God when we return to him, when we turn from our pig pen, from our sin, from our way of doing things, and we turn back to him, right? So Jesus says he returns back to the father. And uh, you guys know how the story goes. Um, he, he heads back home and he's rehearsing his, uh, his apology speech the whole way back. And, and some of you have done that, you know, you're late for curfew and the whole time you're driving, you're, and you're exceeding the speed limit and you're like, oh my gosh. And you're just re- rehearsing your dad, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, like, or, or maybe it's, it was your spouse and you had told her you were going to be at home or you told him you were going to be home and, and they're at home doing the whole bedtime routine with the kids and you're running late and you're like hustling to get back and you're rehearsing, baby, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'll do whatever you want. You know what I mean? Like, and so, and so he's rehearsing his, his apology speech on his way home and he gets home and, and, and y'all, we're going to look at the father's response next week. That's what, that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to look at the father's response. And there's some things that I want to show you that, that I've been learning that have just been wrecking me lately. So don't miss next week, but, but we're going to look at the father's response, but suffice it to say, you know how the story goes. He comes back home and dad welcomes him back and he throws a party because relationship has been restored. And, and that's you know, the story thus far, and you're, you're familiar with this story. And so far, we've just been looking at you know, the two characters, the father and the younger son. But you guys know this, there's a, there's a third character involved in this that we haven't heard anything about, and Jesus is gonna let us know what's going on with him. So it says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. So what's this older son been doing? Jesus says, well, he stayed home. He's been doing the right thing. He's been working for dad. He's been, he's been the good kid, right? This is, this is, the, this is the goody two-shoes, the church kid, the kid that's like, like, that never strayed, that, that, that never had a beer or said a bad word. You know what I mean? Like this is the good kid. And, and Jesus says, you know, the younger son, he, he stayed home. He did all the right thing, he, things. He checked all the right boxes. And now hear me, um, I, I'm not dissing that older brother this morning. I want you to hear me say that. That's a good story to stay home and stay close to your dad. That's not a bad thing. And forgive us sometimes in the church, we were really good at celebrating when younger sons come home, but we're not so good at celebrating the older brothers that stayed close. And so we're good at celebrating the repentance of the younger brother, but we're not so good at celebrating the faithfulness of the older brother. And I just wanna confess to you guys, I pray all the time that that would be my kid's story, that they don't have to find themselves one day in a pig pen in order to wake up and come to their senses and come back to dad. I pray that all the time. I pray they have an older brother story in a lot of ways. So, right, this older brother, he stays home. He does all the right things. 
It says though, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. He got angry. So this older brother, he's done the right thing. He was faithful to dad. He was the good kid. He didn't break the rules. He didn't break his dad's heart, right? He didn't take his dad's stuff. He comes in from working in the field and, and he comes near the house and he hears there's a party going on. He's like, oh, what is going on? Okay, you know? And then they're like, oh, your brother came home. And he's like, wait, what? He's like, your brother came home and your dad's throwing a party. And he is like, wait, you mean instead of getting punished for his rebellion, he's getting a party for his return? Nah, I am out. And he's mad. He's big mad. He is, he is angry. He's going, this is not right. This is not just. I can't believe this is happening. He should not be getting celebrated. He should be getting punished, not having a party. He's so mad. And this anger, y'all, the anger in him, it reveals some things that are going on inside. That anger at the, at the younger brother's return and the party, that anger in him, it reveals uh, some nasty little things that are inside of some of us. That self-righteousness, it reveals a little bit of pride, some moral superiority. So he is, he's angry. Now, before you go judging him though, let me ask you this. Do any of you have some people in your life who you like secretly wish they would get what they deserve? They don't laugh too loud. You're like, that's me. <laughs> like, oh, you, you, do you have anybody in your life like that? You're like, yo, I, I kind of want their decisions to blow up in their face. Like I kind of want them to fall flat on their face because I've told them and I've warned them and I told them that was gonna be a bad idea. And now there's a part of you that just kind of wishes that they would fail and fall flat on their face so that you can be there to say, I told you so. You got anybody like that? You got anybody in your life who, if they showed up at church next week, you'd be like, what? Why are they here? And what are they wearing? You know what I mean? Like, like you, got any, you got anybody like that? How about this? You got, you got anybody who uh, at, at work, who when, when you get to work, you know that you ought to be praying for them, but you just have way too much fun muttering about them. You got anybody like that? You're like, man, I know I should be praying for that person. I know I should be caring for, I know I should be inviting them to church, but I'd rather just talk junk about them because I can't stand them. You got anybody like that? You got anybody here? We'll bring it real close to home this week. You guys got anybody who, when they let you know they were gonna be at Thanksgiving, you went, "Mm." you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You were just, oh, right? And we, like, like at first, you didn't know. They let you know last minute. At first, they, they had said they weren't gonna be able to make it. And you were just like, thank God. And, and, and now though, they let you know, oh, hey, I'm actually gonna be able to make it. And now you're just like, oh, like you're frustrated inside because they are a hot mess. And whenever they're around, all they bring is headache and drama. You know what I'm talking about? And, 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 you're, and you're just, oh, 
and, and there's a part of you that wants to change the day and the time that you're actually celebrating. So then they show up at the wrong place. You'd be like, whoops, sorry. You know what I mean? Like you got anybody like that? Do, do you have any of that in you? Y'all, I'm just, I, I'm just gonna confess, I do. I got some of that in me. I got some people that I know I should be praying for, but it's just easier to talk about them. I got some people who, man, in my heart of hearts, if I'm being honest with myself, and I would normally not ever say this out loud, but then they gave me a microphone and told me I gotta teach it. You know what I mean? Like, I got some people, y'all, that as I've been reading this passage, I'm examining myself that I kind of wish would get was coming to them. And what's, uh, what, what makes me like emotional about this, y'all, is that I've been the younger brother. I was the younger brother. I should know better. I should have more grace. I should have way more grace. But I still got some self-righteousness and some pride. It keeps me from actually loving like Jesus. Oh, I got some of that in me. You got some of that in you? Before you judge too harshly this older brother, try to see the older brother in you. So Jesus says he got angry. He's mad. This doesn't feel fair. He says, so his father goes out. His father hears he won't come in. So the father goes out and he pleads with him. But he answered the father. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never even gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. With the son of yours. He wanted me to say his brother's name. The son of yours. Not my brother. He's your son. Like when your kids mess up and your wife blames you. You know what I mean? That's your kid. <laughs> my son made a, a, a tower the other day of a waterfall. He pulled all the drawers out and, uh, and then he turned the sink on and stopped the sink up and it just cascaded down. And my wife just sent me a picture and said, look at your son. And I was like, all right. Brother says, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Jesus says, he's angry. His dad goes out, tries to reason with him, have a conversation, invite him back into the party. And as he does, the older brother is having none of it. He's like, nope, I don't wanna hear it. And he goes under this tirade and he's like, dad, this is not fair. I can't believe you're doing this. How could you throw a party when you should be punishing him? And don't you see, I've always done the right thing and he did the wrong thing. And I worked for you and he stole from you. I stayed and he left and you're throwing him a party. Where's my reward? Where's my celebration? You should be celebrating me and not him. Where's my reward? That's what he's saying. And y'all, his reaction is so revealing. It's so revealing. Do you know what he's revealing in this reaction as he goes off on this tirade? You know what he's revealing? He's revealing that the reason why he did the right thing, it was never out of love for his dad. He didn't do it because he loved his dad. He did it because he wanted his stuff. He never loved his father. He just wanted his father's things. You know, it's possible, you guys, to do the right thing with the wrong motive. 
Do you know it's possible to do the right things, but your heart is far from them? Jesus would even say, you know, it's possible for you to praise God with your mouth and yet your heart be far from him. You know, it's possible. Jesus would even say in another passage, he would say, it's possible that you could do all the right things for God. You could preach and prophesy and cast out demons and heal the sick. And yet your heart be far from him and never be connected to him relationally. You know, it's possible to sit in church every single week and check the box and yet not walk in relationship with your heavenly father all week long, Monday through Saturday. It is possible to do the right thing with the wrong motive. And when you do the right thing with the wrong motive, what you reveal is that you've missed the point of the right thing in the first place. And Jesus goes, this older son, he missed the point. And his motives were just as messed up as the younger son. It's brilliant what Jesus has done here, you guys. What he's done with this story right here, he's just leveled the playing field because he's looking at the older brothers in the crowd and he's, he's going, look, don't you see? You're just as lost as the younger brother. What Jesus has done is so brilliant because he said, hey, there's more than one way to be lost because lost is about relationship, not location. And so you can be just as lost right here at home as the one who wanders. If you're disconnected from relationship with your father, you can be just as lost. You can be just as lost in your rightness as some people are in their wrongness. So what Jesus has done here, brilliant. He just levels the playing field. He levels the playing field and he goes, hey, you're all lost. You're all lost. You're all in need of the love of the father. You're all lost and you're all needing repentance. You all need to turn back and come back to your dad. You're all lost and in need of the forgiveness and the acceptance and the love of a father. You're all lost and you all need to come home. It's brilliant. So, Jesus tells us, there's two ways to be lost. You can be lost in self-righteousness. You can be lost in self-indulgence. You can be lost in your sinfulness. You can be lost in your pride. You can be lost in your wrongness. You can be lost in your rightness. You can be lost in a distant country. You can be lost right outside the house. There's more than one way to be lost. And we're all finding ourselves as somebody in the story. So coming back to the question we asked at the beginning, Where do you find yourself in the story? Who are you in the story? Where are you at? Older brother? Younger brother? Are you the the younger one who has squandered the wealth and run away to a distant country doing your own thing? Disliking where you've ended up or who you've become because of decisions that you've made far from the person that you hope to be or the story that you'd hope to write? In the pig pen? Is that where you're at? Younger brother, younger sister? The older brother? Full of pride and self-righteousness? That one's so dangerous because it's so hard to see in ourselves. Stuck in our, in our self-righteousness and our pride. Doing the right things, but our hearts are far from God. Checking the boxes, but not experiencing relationship. Where do you find yourself 
in the story? Which one are you? Or maybe just which one have you been? Praise God, you're not there anymore, but you know, hey, that's where I was when God found me. And that's where I have the tendency to drift in my worst moments. So who are you in the story? The good news of the gospel, you guys, the good news of the message of Jesus, though, for all of us, is that whoever you are in this story, wherever you find yourself in this story, there's one invitation, and the invitation is to come home. You can always come home. It's come home. Younger brothers and younger sisters, come home. Leave your pig pen and come on home. You can come back. Your father loves you and wants relationship with you. Older brothers and older sisters, come home. Leave your self-righteousness and pride. Leave it on the hillside and come on in to the party. Come home. This is the invitation of your heavenly father. He says, I want to forgive you and accept you. I want relationship with you, but you gotta come home. So I don't know where you find yourself in the story, but the invitation of your father is clear. Would you come home? The welcome mat is out. The door is open. The invitation has been extended. Would you come home to your father and walk in relationship with him? That's what he's wanted all along. The invitation's extended. How will you respond? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you love us and you want relationship with us. God, you love us so much. You love us so much you'll let us leave. And you love us so much that, that you'll want us to stay. You love us. So God, I just pray this morning, pray that you would show us where we are in the story. For those of us that have wandered, pray that you would draw us back pray that your love would lead us to repentance. For those of us that are here, we've been going through the motions and checking the boxes, doing the right things, but our hearts have been far from you, God. I pray that you would remind us today that you love us. pray that you would draw us into relationship, help us to have your heart for people. Yeah, God. I pray, wherever we find ourselves in the story, I pray that your love would lead us to repent, to turn, to change the way that we think, and to come home to you. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.